Genesis 28, verses 10 through 16. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran and came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Henry. Well, we are continuing in our series in Genesis this morning, and uh, as we do that, I want to pause now before we look at this passage and pray and ask that the God who is with Abraham, Isaac, and who is we're going to see is with Jacob would be with us this morning, speaking to us afresh uh, as we look at this text of Scripture. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you have inspired these words for us by the power of your Spirit working through human authors, that you have delivered this word to us, you have revealed yourself to us. I pray that your Spirit who inspired these words would be afresh at work in this room right now, bringing this truth alive in my life and in each one here. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, have you ever thought about the difference between there and here? About the difference between there and here? Because uh, think about that a minute. There's a, there is a big difference between something being there and then something being here. Believing that something is, is there is dramatically different, is radically different than believing that it is here, right? So, so for example, I believe that there is a polar bear at the Kansas City Zoo. Um, I've, I've visited him before. His name's actually Berlin. I looked that up this week. The name of the polar bear at the Kansas City Zoo. His name's Berlin. Uh, I've seen him. Here's a picture. That's actually not our family. I wish that was our family who got to see him that close. But that, that is him at the Kansas City Zoo. But, you know, believing, knowing, naming that there is a polar bear there at the zoo, you know, it doesn't make that much difference in my life. The bear is over there across town behind glass and concrete. The bear is there. I'm here. And, you know, maybe occasionally I think about that, and it causes me to smile. You know, it's nice to know that there is a polar bear at the zoo, and I can go and visit him when I want to, get to see him. So much fun. But it's nice, but it's not really changing my life. And I think it's probably not changing yours much either. But what if I told you this morning that instead of being in his enclosure at the zoo, Berlin escaped the zoo and just wandered into the back lobby of church right now? That he was no longer there, but that he was here. Now that begins to transform my life real quick. 
Now, I did, I did check the website this morning. Uh, his, he is safely at the zoo. You don't need to run down and get your kids. He's not on his way here now. But there's a big difference between him being there and him being here. Do you see what I mean? There's a difference between knowing a tornado is there and then hearing the sirens going off in your neighborhood telling you that it is here and our neighborhood. And I think for most of us this morning, myself included, we believe that God is there. We live like God is there, but do we live like he is here? Do we live like he is here? I, I believe that God exists. I believe he is there. I believe he's there at, at work in the world. And, and sure, there are moments in life when I, when I doubt, when I wonder, does God really exist? Is, is, he, is he really there? But for the most part, I believe that God is there. But do I live like he is here? Do I live like he is here right now? in this moment, in this place, that God is here. Not just somewhere out there, not, not contained somewhere where I can go and visit him on my terms when it's convenient for me, when I want to, but that he is here right now, unpredictable, powerful, in this place, in this moment, free to do what he pleases. Well, this morning as we look at the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28 here, we're going to watch someone go on a journey, that transforming journey, from believing that God is there to the transforming place of knowing that he is here. We live like God is there, but do we live like he is here? So we're going to walk through this story together, explore it, and then at the end, we're just going to look at a few key takeaways to help us on our journey of moving from living like God is there to truly living like he is here. Okay, so first, let's take a look at the story. Last week, uh, we began to look at the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, we're going to discover, is someone who believed that God was there, but who had not yet come to the place of believing that God was here. And last week, Pastor Paul walked us through the story of Esau and Jacob. And if you weren't here last week to hear that message, you need to go to the podcast and listen to it, because I believe it was I think it was Paul saved the best for last. It was the best sermon I think he's ever preached here at Christ Community. Even if you did hear it, it's probably worth going back and listening to again. And in that message last week, we, we watched in that episode how Jacob manipulates Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. And we've learned that Jacob's name, it means heel grabber. From the very beginning, from the moment that he is born, he has been a swindler, a conniver. We know this in the story already about Jacob. But it gets worse. Because back last week we saw Esau agreed to sell his birthright to Jacob. But then time passes and Esau and Jacob's father, Isaac, he, he is about to die. He's at the very end of his life. And it comes time in the moment of this story, in the moment of life, for the blessing, the birthright blessing actually to be given. Just to make sure that it all unfolds according to Jacob's plan of him having sold it, bought it from Esau. Rebecca, his mom, they conspire together to trick Isaac into making sure that Jacob gets the blessing. They play a trick on their blind father and husband. 
You see, Esau was always Isaac's favorite. Jacob was always Rebekah's favorite. In this family, it's kind of a disaster. <laughs> and it's only going to get worse. And the trick works. Isaac buses Jacob instead of Esau. And Esau is just devastated. And he vows he is going to kill his brother. He's going to kill Jacob. As soon as his father dies, as soon as his father passes away, Jacob's life is going to be over. Do you hear the echoes of Genesis 4? This is Cain and Abel being played out again. Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. My dad is going to die soon. The days of my father's mourning are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to, my, to Laban, my brother, in Haran. So it's, it's, all, it's just safe to say at this moment <laughs> in this little family that, that Jacob will not be going on vacation with the family that this year. He's going to be running for his life. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 28, when we come to what we heard read here this morning just a moment ago in chapter 28, Jacob is in a really dark spot. He is in a desperate place. He has a brother who is planning his murder behind him. And he's fleeing from the land that God had promised to his grandfather and father and who he supposedly is now is inherited because of all this sort of conniving that he's done. He is fleeing from that land to his uncle Laban who we're going to find out is going to manipulate and exploit him. Which at one level we kind of think Jacob has coming. But this is where Jacob is at. He is fleeing from a brother who wants to kill him to an uncle who's going to take advantage of him. Jacob's life is falling apart in this moment. I mean, yes, he got the blessing from his father. I mean, that happened. He's now the heir to the promise of of the land and the descendants. But it doesn't seem to matter. Because look again at verse 10. Look at where he's at. Now Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place. He doesn't even have a name. It's the middle of nowhere. And he stayed there at night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. He is in the middle of nowhere. It's just called a certain place. It's, it's Wakini, Kansas. It's just on the way to somewhere else. <laughs> My family and I were getting ready to drive to Colorado this afternoon. That's why I was thinking about this. this is, you, well, you don't go to Wakini. It's just a place you stop for the night on where you're actually going. He's supposed to be inheriting the promised land in Beersheba. That's where he's supposed to be, but he's returning to Haran. Now, do we remember Haran? If you've been following along, you might remember. That might sound I think I heard that. That is where Abraham was living when God called him to leave his home and go to the land which I will show you. The, the narrator of the story is being so intentional. shows this is The promise seems like it's going in reverse now. This is not, we're supposed to leave Haran. We're going to this new land. Now Jacob is fleeing back to where Abraham left. He's supposed to be the father of many descendants. And as he lays down to sleep that night, he has no wife. 
He doesn't even have a pillow or a bed. No, why? All Jacob has is a rock. That's all he's got. All of his swindling, all of his conniving, all of his heel grabbing, and it's all backfired. He is alone in Waukini, Kansas, returning from the promised land, sleeping with a rock. That's where he's at. Have you been there? I mean, not to Wakini. Maybe you have been to Wakini. But have you been there in that place of desperation? In a place where it just feels like everything's falling apart? I've had seasons like that. It's health and transitions or whatever it might be. Where you just feel like, God, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? Maybe some of you are here in that place this morning. You, you walked in and you felt like you're hearing this. It's like, that's, that's me right now. It hasn't turned out like I thought. I didn't expect it to be like this. And when you're there, it's really hard to believe that God is here. When you're there in that place, it can be really hard to believe that God is here. And Jacob certainly doesn't think that God is here. Jacob is running away, but he cannot outrun God. Just watch what happens next. Jacob falls asleep on his rock, and he dreams. Verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So this is kind of a crazy dream. We don't know what Jacob had to eat that night before he fell asleep. But he has this this dream, this stunning dream. And and there's a long tradition of translating the the Hebrew word there as as ladder, that he sees this ladder coming out of the sky. And and when we hear that word, you know, for us, we we think of an extension ladder, something I'm leaning up against the side of my house to change, uh, to clean the gutters or something I'm setting up in the the living room to change a light bulb. But the the image here is probably not really that. It's not of a, of a ladder like we think of it, but more of like a ramp or a stairway. Now, why does that matter? What, what difference does that make? Well, in this period of time, people built structures called ziggurats. I have a, a, a drawing of one here. They look something kind of like this. You see the, the stairways, those ramps coming down off of it. And the people who built these, they believed that these were places where heaven and earth, the realm of the gods and the realm of people would overlap. They kind of functioned like sort of these divine heliports. The gods could kind of come and land on the top and then come down the ramps, the stairways to, to interact with the people, to visit the people. This is probably more of the image that the author wants his readers to have in mind when he says that there's a, a stairway, a ramp coming down out of heaven. Jacob dreams and he sees the staircase coming down from heaven to earth and it begins in heaven and descends to earth, not the other way around like the ziggurat. The ziggurat, they were starting on earth, they were building a ramp up to heaven. And in this, God is communicating something about himself to us that is reiterated throughout the scriptures that he is a God who goes to his people. He comes to his people, he comes down, he enters in, he condescends, he meets us where we are. In many ways, this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel story that we looked at back in Genesis chapter 11. In that moment, the people are building a tower, probably something like a ziggurat, up to the heavens. 
They were trying to build a staircase up to God to show their power, their superiority. But here God has built a staircase down, down to Jacob. The angels that are mentioned, those are God's messengers, how they most often function in the scriptures. They're ascending and descending on the staircase. And then in that moment, God speaks. He's right there beside Jacob in this place, this no-name place, and God speaks to him right there, right next to him. And he declares to Jacob who he is. He is the God of his grandfather, Abraham. He is the God of his father, Jacob, uh, of, of Isaac, and he is going to be Jacob's God as well. And, and not because Jacob tricked his brother and stole his birthright and deceived his father, not because Jacob seems like, oh, a pretty nice guy, because he isn't. In fact, he's the worst. But because God is faithful to his promise. Because God loves his people. And God makes this incredible promise to him. The promise that he made to Abraham. The promise that he made to Isaac. That his descendants are going to spread across the earth. And with Abraham and with Isaac, it was the image of your descendants are as many as the stars. It's the more down-to-earth image. As many as the dust. All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through him. This land will be his. God will keep his promise despite Jacob's incredible failures. There's nothing to commend Jacob in this moment. And then we get to verse 15. And verse 15 is what changes everything. It changes everything for Jacob. And it is what can change everything for you and for me also. Look at verse 15 again. Behold, this is God speaking to Jacob. Behold, I am with you, Jacob, and will keep you, that I, I will protect you, I will guard you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. Yes, you're fleeing, yes, you're running away, but I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised for you. I am with you. I'm with you, and I will not leave you until I have completed the work that I'm going to do. I'm going to be with you to the very end, Jacob. And that changes everything for him. Everything. No longer is God just there somewhere. All of a sudden, he is right here for Jacob. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place. He's there in Wakini. He's there in the middle of it. He's in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob can't believe it. God is here. He is in that place. You could translate this almost as that, like when he says, I, and I didn't know it. It's like, I, I, how could I have been so blind? I could kick myself. God is here in this place. For Jacob, God goes from being safely in an enclosure somewhere in the zoo where he can go and visit him whenever he wants to being a living, real, active person here in that place. Which all of a sudden means that this is not just a place anymore. Here is where God is. And Jacob names the place Bethel, which means house of God. When you go from living a life of God being there to living a life of God being here, there are no more common places any longer. 
There are no more common places any longer. Only places enlivened by the very presence of God. Only places inhabited by the Holy One who has created the world. We live like God is there. But do we live like He is here? That's the question for us this morning, friends. Do we live like He is here? Well, here are three truths from this passage that we we have to embrace if we are going to move from living like God is there to really living like He is here. The first one is this. We, We have to realize, you have to know and believe that we are all running from something. If if you're going to make this journey from understanding that God is not just there, but he is here with me now in this place, in this time, we have to recognize we're all running from something. Because look, we are all like Jacob to some extent. We are all running away from something. Right? Underneath the procrastination, underneath the overeating, the pornography, the hookups, the addictions, the hours of mindless TV or video games is something Something that we are running from. Something that we are trying to distance ourselves from. You hear the echoes of Genesis 3 in this passage. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they they rebel against God and they realize that they are naked. They feel shame. And what do they do? They run away and they hide. You know, and we have all been running and hiding ever since. Every one of us all running from something. We're all hiding from something. We're all fleeing and hiding the shame that we feel. We feel the shame. We feel like we're not enough. And we run and we hide. We swindle and we scramble. For me, recently, God's been revealing how often, how often I run from conflict. How often I run from, from challenging conversations with people. I put off that hard work, put off that hard conversation that, that I end up feeling passive when I, when I should be active. I withdraw when I should engage. I'm running. Running from the pain. Running from, from fear that I'll be rejected. Running from shame that says I'm not enough, that I can't do it. What are you running from? Where do you feel that shame? Where are you hiding? You know, we're all running from something. We're all running from something. Second, if you're going to move from living like God is there to living like he is here, you have to know and believe that God can meet you anywhere. You have to believe that God can meet you anywhere. And and how do I know that God can meet you anywhere? Because he meets Jacob here in this place in the story. If he can meet Jacob here, then he can meet you wherever you are. Because Jacob is a terrible human being at this point. He has cheated his brother. He has lied to and deceived his father. He has sided with his mother against his brother and father in a family feud. He's running away, but he cannot outrun God. He cannot thwart God's plan. He cannot undermine God's promise. And that's the beauty of grace, friends. That that none of us can ultimately screw up what God is doing. We are just like Jacob. We don't deserve any of this. And yet he's able to meet us in those places. Not because of who we are, but because of the goodness of his grace and his mercy towards us. God meets Jacob in this place of desperation. 
in a place where Jacob deserves nothing but abandonment and loneliness and exile. That's what Jacob deserves. And God shows up in that place and meets him there and blesses him and invites him in and makes a promise to him and says, you are going to continue my plan and my promise and I'm not going to leave you or forsake you, Jacob, until it is completed. I'm going to be with you to the very end. Friends, do you believe that God can meet you anywhere? That he can, that he does, that he will, that he can meet you not just in, in church on Sunday morning, not just when you you're got your life together and you're, you're doing your Bible study in the morning, but that he can meet you anywhere, not just in the moments when you feel like you're doing well, but actually especially in the places where you feel like an utter failure, that he can show up in those places. those moments of utter failure and the moments of your shame and the moments of your brokenness and the moments of your hiding and that moment after you once again visit that website you vowed you were never going to go to again in the moment that that you lost your temper with your child again you said you're never going to do that and it's there again can you meet you in that moment the moment when you when you've relapsed back into that addiction again in the moment when you fill in the blank, whenever you enter into that moment of failure again, do you believe that he can meet you there? God can meet you there. He met Jacob there. He meets me in those moments. And until you believe that God can meet you anywhere, you will continue to live as though he is just there, but not actually here. And finally, if you're going to move from merely living like God is there to living like he is here, you have to remind yourself daily, hourly, moment by moment, that God is here now. God is here now. Whatever now is, whenever now is, God is here now. And over the past three weeks, as I've studied and meditated on this passage, it has had a profound impact on my life. As I've begun reminding myself, whenever I pray, whenever I'm stressed, as often as I can say to myself, Bill, God is here now. In this moment, he's here now. Heaven is in the room. He is here now. There is but a thin veil separating God's space and ours. He is here now. There are no common places. There are no places where he is not. Psalm 139 declares, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Psalmist says, if if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the utter parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. There your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. There is no place that we can go where he is not. God is here in this place now. But we say that God is here. It's, it's not just that he is here in this, in this location, in this physicality of this moment, this little geographical spot in Kansas City. Yes, he is here in this geographical location. Yes, that's true. But also he's here in this time, in this moment in time, in this generation. Because I think we can trick ourselves, we can deceive ourselves into sort of subtly thinking, well, that God was really only at work in the past. 
That there were there was some good old days sometime whether it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago, that that's when God was really at work. But he is here now, in this time, with this generation. And whether you're older or younger, be assured that God is at work now, in this season of your life, in this moment in time, in this season of Kansas City. God is here now. He hasn't given up on this city He hasn't given up on this church. He is here now working in this moment, in this generation, in this time, in this season of your life. The best is still yet to come. It is not in the past. He is at work now, at school, at work, with your kids. He is with you now, in the car, when you're fighting with your spouse, when you're doing laundry, when you're calling clients, when you're watching Stranger Things. God is here now. When you're making dinner, when you're making love, he is here now, in those moments. Most of us live like God is there. But do we live like he is here? And the reason that God can meet us anywhere, the reason that he is now here with us now, not just in the past with Jacob, not just in the past, in the plot of land, in in the Middle East, in a place called Bethel, the reason that he is here now in this generation, in Kansas City, right now, here with us, is that Jesus came and in Jesus God came near and Jesus when he comes on the scene in the gospel of John he picks up on this moment from Genesis chapter 28 and his people have gathered around he's talking to a guy named Nathaniel and he tells his listeners that they will see heaven open and the angels descending and ascending same image as Genesis chapter 28 on the son of man Jesus is the staircase he is the ramp he is the way don't you see Every other religion in the world says you have to build the staircase, you have to make the ramp, you have to climb the ladder to get to God. If you do the right things, if you achieve, if you check all the boxes, if you do everything that culture says that you will find peace and fulfillment, you have to build the ramp. But Christianity is utterly different. It says that there's nothing you can do. Jesus says, I am the way to come to God. I have come to you. I am the ramp. I am the way. I am here now. I love how Scholar Edmund Clowney puts this, he says, the stairway was a picture in Jacob's dream, but what the dream promised became a reality in Christ's incarnation. God came down in the person of his son to dwell on earth. Christ is the link between earth and heaven. He is the true Bethel, the house of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He has promised to be with us to the end of the age, to complete the good work that he's begun in us, to be with us on mission, fulfilling his work through us. So friends, brothers and sisters in Jesus, may we never be content merely to have a relationship with a God who is there but will we fall in love with and obey and trust and serve the God who is here with us always, even to the end of the age? And will we open ourselves to living before that God, before Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, whose presence is with us here, now, and forever? Let's pray. Father in heaven, my, my prayer for us right now, for this congregation, 
is that you would fill us with a sense, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would make us attentive to the fact that you are here. You are here now in this place, not just in the past, not just somewhere out there, but you are here with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would that presence transform us? Would it transform me? Would, would it make us into a people who have the power to obey you and to do what you've called us to do and the people you've called us to be in and for this city? We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells with us here. Amen.